Good morning, everyone, and welcome once again to Church Online. If this is your very first time tuning in with us, my name is Pete. I'm the lead pastor, and I just want to say what a privilege it is that you would take some time out of your Sunday morning to allow us to bring God's word to you. Church, can I tell you how excited I am to be with you again in person in just two weeks? June 28th, cannot get here soon enough. You know, from the church's inception, when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it, there's always been a corporate gathering component to the church. I know we don't need the church building. This is just a tool that we use to help us, you know, preach the gospel. But the word church means a gathering of called out ones who are sent out on mission. And I don't know about you, but I am looking forward to gathering with my fellow called out ones so that we can be encouraged by one another's faith, so that we can once again experience the tangible presence of God in a corporate worship setting, and we can be challenged by God's word before being sent out to live on mission, to help people know and follow Jesus step by step. I cannot wait to see you in person. But today we are going to continue our series that we've been in called Dressed for Success, and the way I've explained it the last couple of weeks is that in the same way that people in different professions will dress specific ways to realize success in their field, we too, as followers of Jesus, have been given very specific instructions by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Ephesians and how we should dress if we want to be successful in the spiritual battles that we all face. Now, I want to start today's message a little bit different than I have in the past several weeks. For those of you who are parents out there, how many of you have ever had to free your kid after he or she had gotten their head stuck somewhere that it didn't belong? Somehow kids find these ways to stick their heads in these really tight spaces, but then they can't get it back out again. I'm sure you can relate if you have a child. No doubt I'm able to relate. We have two boys and we've had to deal with that many times. And I've got a short little video that humorously illustrates what I'm talking about. So take a look at this. Your head's stuck, huh? <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> Why are you like this? So cute and so funny, uh, but I don't know that we have to watch a video to see someone getting their head stuck somewhere that it doesn't belong. I think all we have to do, honestly, is look in the mirror and we'll see someone looking back at us that most likely at one point or another in our lives has gotten our head stuck somewhere that it doesn't belong. Has there ever been a season in your life where your head has been stuck an idea, on an idea or your mind stuck on a train of thought that you couldn't seem to quite get free of. Maybe it was the thought of being unworthy or unloved, the thought of not having what it takes, or maybe it's in the other direction for you. Maybe you've gotten your head stuck on the idea that you're overly important and pride has just run away with you. We keep getting stuck in these negative patterns of thinking. And honestly, I don't think we're a whole lot different than the toddler in that video who no sooner had he gotten freed from being stuck in those spindles of the staircase to he ran right back and put his head in the exact same spot again. I mean, how many times do we do that in our lives as well? Jesus saves us. He sets us free. We hear a sermon or we read a Bible verse that that 
illuminates God's truth and sets us free from something that, that had been keeping us in bondage. And we turn right around and run back to the exact same thing that had us locked up to begin with. Have you ever had your head stuck before? Well, thankfully, we have a piece of armor for that. Today, we're gonna continue our study into the full armor of God so that we can learn how to stand firm against what Paul calls the schemes of the devil. Now, thankfully, the victory in this invisible war that's taking place all around us has already been purchased. Jesus won the victory when he was crucified on the cross and emerged from that tomb three days later. And because we are seated with him in heavenly places, we are fighting from a place of victory and that victory is irrevocable. But while the war has been decided, the enemy is not going down without a fight. We still have battles that we have to face. And the good news is that our God has not left us unequipped for these battles. He's given us his very own armor that we must put on and wear if we're gonna walk in the victory that Jesus secured for us on the cross. But you guys, the armor won't do us any good if we don't put it on. We've gotta put on the armor of God if we wanna realize its protective benefits. And so, so far in this series, we've covered the belt of truth, We've talked about the breastplate of righteousness. We've talked about the shoes of the gospel of peace. And last week, we talked about the shield of faith. And I hope these messages have been helpful to you and that you are growing in your faith and in your understanding of the power of each piece of this armor. I know even for myself, I have been learning so much just in studying and preparing to preach these messages to you. But let's pick up the conversation when Paul mentions the next piece of the armor in verse 17, when he tells us to take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. This is probably the easiest analogy for most of us to understand because we all understand the importance of a helmet, right? We wear them on our head to protect our heads, which house our brains. A helmet is important because a head injury can be fatal. And even if it doesn't kill us, it can easily maim us or impair us in a very significant way. So whether it's riding a motorcycle or playing football or any number of activity, activities that require a helmet, it protects our brain. And the same was true for the Roman soldier. His helmet was called a galea, which was basically a skull cap made of iron and then covered in bronze, which made it extremely heavy. So heavy that soldiers would line the inside of it with a sponge-like material to soften the weight of it upon his head. It had a flared neck and hinged cheek guards to protect the back of the neck and the sides of the face. The primary function of the helmet was obviously to protect the, the soldier's skull and brain from the strike of what was known as a broadsword, a long three to four foot long sword that would inflict massive damage. But this helmet, as you saw from the pictures, was, would provide comprehensive coverage. And that's what our salvation does for us as followers of Jesus. It gives us comprehensive coverage to protect our minds against the attacks of the enemy. I want you to think for a moment about the importance of your physical brain to your physical body. All the functions of our body, down to the smallest movement of your pinky finger, is controlled by signals and impulses that our brains send. And if our brain is impaired in any way, our body will not function properly. Quite simply, our bodies can't live without our brains. But what the brain is to the body, we need to understand that the mind is to the soul. 
You could say that the mind is the spiritual expression of your brain. It's the control center for our lives. Spiritually and emotionally, our minds control all the functions of our soul. And if your mind is not sending healthy signals and impulses, our soul cannot respond in healthy ways. So if your mind's thought processes are unhealthy and toxic, your emotions will constantly be in turmoil. Your will, your ambitions will lead you to pursue unhealthy things. Your behaviors will not line up with healthy choices because all behavior we need to understand stems from the thinking that happens in our minds. And when it comes to the battles that we face against Satan and his spiritual forces of darkness, the mind is the number one battlefield on which these battles take place. Satan knows that our mind is the control center for our lives. And he knows that if he can influence your life, he can wreak havoc in every other area of your life. Down to your relationships, your work, your decisions, every area of your life. So if he influences your minds, your mind with thoughts of being unworthy or unloved or incapable, undesirable, unforgivable even, insignificant, through lies and condemnation and shame and accusations, the enemy will erect strongholds in our minds that will keep us from walking in the victory that God has purchased for us and from pursuing the things that God has called us to do. But the good news is that God has not left us defenseless against these lies. He has given us the helmet of salvation. But in order for salvation to provide the comprehensive coverage that it's intended to, we must come to fully understand what salvation is and all that it encompasses. Now remember, when Paul lists each piece of the armor in chapter six, it's intended to remind his readers of something that he had described in greater detail earlier in the letter. Now, Paul spent the majority of the first two chapters of Ephesians talking all about the benefits inherent in salvation. Not only are we loved, chosen, adopted sons and daughters of God who have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ, but we've also received a vast inheritance, one that we did not earn and definitely do not deserve. Look at what Paul writes in Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who took up residence in you, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, there's the word, until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Understanding and applying this salvation inheritance that Paul talks about, enables you to not only stop living below your spiritual station in life, but it also protects your mind against the enemy's attempts to cripple your thinking and to convince you that you are worth less than you really are. As heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, we have access to everything that our great heavenly father has in his spiritual storehouses. There is not an area of your life that won't be positively impacted if you will begin to live in that knowledge and in the reality of that truth. So to understand how this works, we've got to get clear on what salvation really is and what it means. The word salvation 
that Paul used when he talked about take the helmet of salvation is the Greek word soterios, which means to be saved. And that word saved comes from the Greek word sozo, which means to be delivered out of danger and brought into safety. There's two components to it. To be rescued from danger and restored to health, wholeness, and victory. Your salvation isn't just one side of the spectrum. It's also about reaching the other. Your salvation is comprehensive. Your identity in Christ gives you the complete coverage and its ability to guard and protect your mind against the schemes of the enemy. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians 2.8. For it is by grace you have been saved, sozo, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then he says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now I want you to hear this, see this. We're saved by grace, through faith, for good works. We aren't saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. The order and the process here is very important. See, grace is accessed through faith, not works. Grace is receiving something that we didn't earn or deserve. If you try to earn grace or earn salvation through your works, then it's no longer grace because you had something to do with it. But we don't have anything to do with grace. As Paul says, it is the gift of God. But religion will try to convince you to access this grace and this salvation through works. That what you do or don't do determines whether or not you'll make it into heaven. That's what religion says. But do you know who the people were that Jesus rebuked the harshest? It was religious leaders who were legalistic in their attempts to adhere to the law, thinking that their performance and their works is what made them acceptable to God. But religion will kill you because it will keep you trying to earn something that you've already been freely offered. And for those of us who have received this free gift of God, you should know that your salvation wasn't just a one-time event in the past. That's when it began, when you accepted Jesus and placed your faith in him, but we are continuing to be saved in the present as our salvation is being worked out with fear and trembling. And our salvation will be fully realized in the future. So salvation is past, present, and future. Now I wanna show you this because I think it will give you a much better understanding of how the helmet of salvation works and how comprehensive its coverage is. It will help you understand how it can protect you from the lies, deceptions, and accusations of the enemy. So number one, the past is salvation from the penalty of sin. In Romans, Paul talks about how the wages or the penalty of sin is death. And that's not physical death he's talking about, it's spiritual death. It's eternal separation from God. And in Romans 5, 9, he says, since we have now been justified by his blood, past tense, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? So here we see both past and future implications of our salvation. Now the word justification, we talked about that in previous weeks, is a legal term that just signifies acquittal. It means we're released from having to pay the debt that we owe for our sin. The moment I placed my faith in Jesus to forgive me of my sins as he paid for them on the cross, the penalty of my sins was removed. And now when God looks at me, it's just as if I'd never sinned. 
That's a really easy way for you to remember the definition of justification. Justified is just as if I'd never sinned. That's how God sees me. That's how God sees you. That is grace and mercy, which Paul talks about in Ephesians 2 when he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And then in verse four, he says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, have been, past tense. God, who is rich in mercy, saved you from the penalty of sin by grace when you believed in him. See, we've got to understand the difference between grace and mercy. Grace, I explained to you earlier, was receiving something that we didn't earn or didn't deserve. But mercy is something different. Mercy is actually not getting something that we do deserve. Think about it this way. Think about a man who turns to a life of stealing to try and make ends meet, provide for his family. He gets laid off, can't find new work. And for whatever reason, he starts stealing things, reselling them to put food on the table. And one day he gets caught red-handed. He gets arrested, get put in jail. He comes before the judge. And upon hearing his story, the judge says to him, not only am I not going to put you in prison, that's mercy. Okay. He's not, he's not getting something that he does deserve. He deserves to go to jail for his crimes. That's mercy. Not only am I not going to put you in jail, I'm also going to give you a car that you can use to get to and from a job that I'm going to provide for you so that you can get back on the straight and narrow and provide for your family. That's grace. Getting something that he didn't deserve at all. That's the difference. And some of you are thinking, well, man, I wish I had that judge. And guess what? We can have that judge. His name is Jesus. So when the enemy comes along and tries to condemn you for things that you've done in the past, all you've got to do is tell him what Jesus has done for you. He removed the penalty of your sin. And you might feel like you don't deserve it. And guess what? You don't. That's the beautiful thing about it. But God did it for you anyway because of his great love for you. But if you choose instead to believe the accusations of the enemy and to receive his condemnation, you will never walk in the purpose for which God placed you here in the first place. You see, in a moment in the past, when you were saved, when you placed your faith in Jesus, God gave you in that moment a new identity. You are no longer defined by what you've done. You are now defined by who God says you are. You see, Satan knows your name, but he calls you by all of your mistakes. He calls you a thief, a murderer, a liar, an adulterer, lazy, glutton, whatever. He calls you by your mistakes, but God knows all your mistakes, but he calls you by your name. He says, you're my son and you're my daughter. And we have got to put on the helmet of salvation that determines our true identity in Christ. So that was past. Future is salvation from the presence of sin. The future aspect of our salvation is known as glorification. It's when we receive the promise of our salvation, deliverance once and forevermore from the very presence of sin when we will spend eternity of never-ending fulfillment and joy in the presence of God. I'm talking about heaven here. Paul calls the helmet the hope of salvation in 1 Thessalonians 5.8 when he writes, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. 
See, hope implies future. You don't hope for something that you have now. You hope for something that you want in the future. And our future salvation from the presence of sin gives us a hope that cannot be shaken because our hope is in the unchanging eternal God who has promised that those who believe in him will have everlasting life. And as followers of Jesus, as long as we continue to take up the helmet of salvation, we can have that hope until the day we die. And at that point, we won't need it anymore because we will have realized and received the hope of our salvation. See, I wanna make sure you guys understand the difference between the way we typically use the word hope and the way the Bible defines hope. See, when we use the word hope, it's kind of like wishful thinking. Oh, I hope I passed that pop quiz even though I didn't really study for it. I hope Santa brings me some presents even though I was kind of on the naughty list this year. As a Bills fan, I could say, man, I really hope the Buffalo Bills make it to the Super Bowl this year. But past history would say that's probably wishful thinking. But hey, one can always hope, right? Things are trending in the right direction and I have great hopes for their season this year. But biblical hope is not wishful thinking. The definition of biblical hope is a confident expectation. We can have a confident expectation that we will spend eternity with him because Jesus proved who he claimed to be when he walked out of that tomb. Therefore, I can trust that what he said is true. Look at what Jesus said to John in Revelation chapter 21, verse three and four. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And oh my goodness, how do I long for that day? If our salvation offered no more than redemption from our sins and escape from its penalty, we would have enough reason to celebrate for the rest of our days, knowing that this world is not our home and that he has prepared a better place for us, gives us a profound hope that demolishes despair and affects how we live in the present. See, because salvation is not just a past tense event, justification, with future tense implications, glorification. If salvation was only intended to give us a ticket to heaven, then what good would it do with us right now while we're here on earth? Do we just sit around waiting, twiddling our thumbs, living out our days, waiting for some future moment when either Jesus returns or we die and go to be with him forever? No, no. Our salvation offers way more than just future benefits. It's also supposed to impact our present daily lives. But this impact will only be experienced to the extent that we apply the benefits of our salvation to our everyday lives. See, receiving salvation is not the same thing as applying salvation. Receiving salvation is what rescues us and redeems us but applying salvation is what restores us to wholeness and protects us and shields us from the daily attacks of the enemy. So the past is salvation from the penalty of sin. Future is salvation from the presence of sin when we get to spend eternity with him in heaven. But the present is salvation from the power of sin. 
Now, if we have truly been saved in the past and the Holy Spirit is right now actively working in you and in me to deliver us from the power and the influence and the pull of sin in our present. Salvation is also a present process. Look at what Paul writes in Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, does this mean that you and I won't struggle with sin anymore? Of course not. I still struggle, we will still struggle. But the good news is that the Holy Spirit in us gives us the power to resist the power of sin's pull. See, I'm gonna say something here that's gonna come across pretty strong, but I think it's important for us all to know this. If you don't desire to wrestle against the sinful ways of your flesh and desire to follow the ways of God, I think you need to search your heart to see if you have really received salvation in the past. See, because one leads to the other. Biblically speaking, you can't have trusted in Jesus to save you and not also surrendered your life to him and his lordship. See, because when we trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us to save us every day from the power of sin. Look with me again at what Paul writes in Romans 5. I read verse 9 to you. I'm going to add verse 10 to it this time. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled, past tense, to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Now look at James 1.21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Now we've got to understand both of these passages were written to Christians. They were already saved, but there is an ongoing salvation from the power of sin that we need to understand. Their spirits were saved from the penalty of sin, but now he's saying, receive the word implanted in you, which is able to save your souls. You guys, our minds have to be saved. Both of these passages give us a clear perspective of the present tense effectiveness of our salvation. Having been justified, past tense, by belief in his sacrificial death, we've been declared righteous by him. But our salvation doesn't stop at the foot of the cross. If you're amazed at what his death accomplished, imagine how much more is accomplished through his life, Romans 5.10 said. The fact that he is alive and now lives in us means that our salvation flows into our everyday experiences. And as James 1.21 says, our souls, which contain our minds, are being saved daily and progressively through the Holy Spirit and the word of God. This is sanctification, which we talked about a couple weeks ago during the message on the breastplate of righteousness but I wanna revisit it here because it's important. We need to understand and remember that sanctification is the process that the Holy Spirit takes us through as he conforms us more and more into the image of Jesus. He works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure, right? He gives us the desire to do what's right and the power to carry out what's right. He changes our desires, our mind, our thinking, which in turn then changes our behaviors. And we need to understand, you guys, that we cooperate 
in the sanctification process. This isn't something that the Holy Spirit does on his own without our participation. And this is how we apply salvation so that we can receive its protective benefits against the enemy's lies. This is how we put on the helmet of salvation. You guys, salvation is a powerful piece of armor. Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10.4 about our armor. He said, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now the word stronghold there in the original language means fortress or prison. And he's referring to a fortress or prison of thought. Now a fortress was like a military stronghold like a castle with thick, high, impenetrable walls that stood at the highest point of a city. And it was designed to keep outsiders from breaking in. And like impenetrable, impenetrable, invisible walls, strongholds are rooted in people's minds to keep other people from getting in and getting too close to us. The devil wants to keep you isolated from people who could help bring God's love and freedom into your life. Prisons, on the other hand, also have fortified walls, but they are designed to keep insiders from getting out. With steel bars, they keep prisoners captive. And if you allow the lies of the enemy to go uncontested in your mind, and you develop a toxic negative pattern of thinking day after day, day, after day you develop literal mental prisons that keep you captive mentally and emotionally. And you guys, science is supporting this. Dr. Caroline Leaf is a pretty well-known cognitive neuroscientist who studies neuroplasticity, which is the brain's ability to reorganize itself by forming new neural connections. As a strong believer, she travels around a lot seeking to help God's people understand the effects of toxic thinking on our overall well-being. And she wants to help us understand that how we put on the helmet of salvation and submit our thinking patterns to Christ can actually create an amazing impact on our lives. Dr. Leaf can prove through decades of research that our thoughts are not just these mystical, theoretical, invisible things. They're actually very real. They have substance in our brains. They occupy mental real estate and have very real and measurable effects on our brains and on our bodies. She says this, she says, every time you have a thought, it is actively changing your brain and your body either for the better or for worse. Think about that. Every thought you think is actively changing your brain and your body for better or for worse. That puts some weight to the thoughts that we think. And when you look at some of the brain scans that she shows you, you'll see that people who have a, a toxic way of thinking, negative self-talk, have these, these black branches almost that kind of show up in the, in the brain scans that are literal like strongholds in our mind. And the enemy knows this and is fully aware of the power of your thoughts that affects the quality of the rest of your life which is why after saying that our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds, Paul continues in verse five of 2 Corinthians 10, we demolish arguments and every pretension, a high-minded thing, a stronghold that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I love the juxtaposition of these terms here. Instead of being held prisoner 
by our negative thoughts. Paul tells us we need to take those thoughts that keep us prisoner, we need to take them captive and make them obedient to Christ. Now look at what Paul says in Romans 12 too. And these two verses together are so powerful. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve, or one translation says discern, to think, to know what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. These two verses together are the battle plan for our defense against the enemy's attempts to infiltrate our minds. They tell us how to transform our thinking and to put on the helmet of salvation. So I'm gonna give you a, a, a quick, simple three-step strategy for this battle plan. Step one is to identify the toxic thought patterns that you've been rehearsing in your mind. What negative thoughts have been elevated to the highest point in your mind? Higher even than the truth of God's word and what he says is true about you. Because listen, you can't correct what you won't confront. So you need to identify the strongholds that are keeping other people out and are keeping you locked up inside, unable to step into the freedom that God has called you to. So identify them, write them down. Step two is to confess. Confess the wrong thought processes to God and, this part's hard, agree with him about your responsibility in helping to construct those strongholds in your life. See, we need to understand that the devil is not ultimately responsible for every single stronghold we have in our lives. The devil can't make you do anything. He can only lead you to something. He can plant an idea in your mind, but you have the power to resist or submit to that. He can't make you do anything. And every time we've rehearsed or given voice to a negative thought, we have added another brick to that ever-increasing stronghold in our mind. As that wall gets higher and higher with every negative self-word, Every time we rehearse that thing, we are adding to it. Whether those are thoughts of doubt or fear or insecurity or something else, rehearsing the enemy's lies in essence makes us partners with him in building the prison that keeps us captive. So how have you cooperated with the enemy in building the strongholds in your mind to their current height and strength? confess them and repent of them. The word repent actually means to change your mind, to change your thinking. And then step three is where the hard work really begins. Step three is dismantle the stronghold by taking captive those negative thoughts and replacing them with God's truth. This is hard because a stronghold is like a military fortress is the idea. We're not talking about some flimsy shack here. Destroying a stronghold requires persi persistence perseverance, determination, strategy, and power. The kind of power that only comes from consistently applying the divinely empowered weapons that God has given us. When Paul tells us to take every thought captive, he uses the present progressive tense of the verb, implying continuous ongoing action. This is not a one-time event. Taking thoughts captive means controlling them instead of allowing them to control you. It means resisting the urge, no matter how strong it is, to agree with those negative thoughts or to say them out loud. It means replacing the enemy's lies with God's truth at every opportunity, repeatedly, diligently, 
verbally, vocally, out loud, declare the truths of God over your life because faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. So your spirit needs to hear your own voice declaring God's truth so that faith can rise up in you and the stronghold comes tumbling down. And trust me, it will eventually come down. No matter how long or difficult this journey that you've been on with negative self-talk and toxic thinking, your vigilance and putting on the helmet of salvation, applying salvation will pay off. And the effect of that commitment will be felt well beyond just our spiritual life. You'll receive benefits in other areas as well. Because when we control our thought life, new neural connections begin to be formed in our brains. New pathways are formed and visibly and measurably formed in our brain, which affects the overall health and wellness of our whole body. In other words, when we take thoughts captive, we are quite literally renewing and restoring our minds from a state of unhealth to a state of wholeness. It is truly transformational. Those black branches that I mentioned earlier that show up on the brain scans, you can see them literally receding as a person applies the truth of God's word to their life. We are renewing God's, our minds with God's truth. It, it's fascinating. I don't know if you realize this or not, but based on this, you and I, we are, we are neuroplasticians. We have the power because of the helmet of salvation and the divine weapons that God has given us to literally renew our minds, to be transformed, to be changed by the renewing of our minds through the daily reading of God's word and declaring these truths over your lives. Not only does it keep you from falling prey to the enemy's deceptions, but it also restores previous damage that's been done. The thoughts you think literally has the power to change your brain and the brain scans prove it. That's why Paul said to be transformed by the renewing of your mind because transform means to be changed. And we can be changed from being a negative person to a positive person. We can be changed from being a doubtful person to a faith-filled person. All when we start to take captive every thought and put on the helmet of salvation, we are changed when we begin to renew our minds. And that is why Paul encourages us in Philippians 4.8 when he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I can almost hear the apostle's voice pleading with the Philippians saying, think about these things, because this is what will determine the quality of your life. You guys, the enemy has deliberately and strategically declared war on your mind. It is the primary place where he unleashes all of his attacks, all of his lies, as he goes about trying to erect these fortresses and these prisons and these strongholds in our minds. But I think it's time that we put on the mind of Christ. We've been given the mind of Christ, scripture says. We put on the helmet of salvation and get equally strategic in our defense of those attacks. What do you say? Let's do it together. Let me pray for you today, church. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of our salvation. It is a gift from you, saved by grace through faith. And God, I thank you that as your word declares, you have not given your people, your children, a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Lord, thank you for giving us the mind of Christ that helps us to understand that you have saved us from the penalty of our sin, 
You have saved us from the presence. You will save us from the presence of sin one day when we get to spend eternity with you. And you are right now actively saving us from the power of sin as we learn how to submit our thoughts to you as we learn how to put on the helmet of salvation and cooperate with your Holy Spirit in the sanctification process, harnessing the mind of Christ to know the inheritance that we've been given as sons and daughters of God. Lord, I pray that you would help your sons and daughters begin to assume their rightful place as heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Lord, that we would not allow the enemy to continue inflicting so much damage in our relationships because of lies we've believed. And God, right now, as you bring these things to our attention, we do confess and we repent for being partners with him in erecting these strongholds and these prisons that have kept us bound. Lord, right now, we choose to repent. We change our mind, we change our thinking, we surrender to you. As we continue praying, maybe you're watching this and you recognize that you have never made the decision to place your faith in Jesus. Maybe you thought that being a good person was good enough, but you're realizing today that it's not by works. We're saved by grace through faith. It's only when we place our faith and trust in what Jesus did for us on the cross can we truly be saved. And so if that's you here today and, I, and you're ready to take that step, I wanna give you that opportunity. All it takes is a confession of faith by admitting that we're a sinner, that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. And then his spirit comes and lives in us. And so if you'd like to make that decision, if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, would you go ahead and just put the hands up emoji right now? And if you're watching on church online, click the raise a hand button and just repeat these words after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin to pay the penalty for my sin. Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God who rose again and lives forevermore. And I pray that right now you would fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the strength and the power to resist the power of sin for the rest of my life. Jesus, my life is not my own because right now I give it to you. Be my savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen and amen. Well, I don't know where you're sitting right now, church, but I hope you're excited because I believe the family of God just grew. If you just prayed that prayer a moment ago, Monica's gonna come back on and ask you to take a step and let us know about the decision you've made today so that we can come alongside of you and partner with you and give you some resources to help you take some next steps on this new journey as a follower of Jesus Christ. But welcome to the family. We're so excited to have you. We are celebrating with you. Church, I cannot wait to be with all of you in just two weeks as we gather again on June 28th. Until that's able to happen, continue dressing for success every single day. God bless. I love you, church. Have a blessed week. We'll see you soon. Thank you, Pastor Pete, for that message. 
Listen, if you've missed any of these messages in the Dressed for Success series, you can listen to the podcast on Spotify or you can watch the videos on YouTube. Life Church Buffalo is the handle for both of those places. And if you made a decision to follow Jesus today, we are so excited for you and we want to celebrate with you. So would you give us a hands up emoji in the comment section and let us know that you've decided to follow Jesus? You can also head over to our website, lifechurchbuffalo.com and click the next steps button. Today is just the beginning of a new and exciting relationship and we'd love to help you figure out your next step. Don't forget to mark your calendar for June 28th as we prepare to come back together in person to worship Jesus corporately. And as I said earlier, if you are in the yellow or red light category and you're not quite ready to come back, we've totally got you. You can continue to tune in live on Facebook, YouTube, or church online. Have an awesome Sunday, and we'll see you back here next week.